This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. So today, I just want to jump right into this. As I said, many parents and many students are scared, confused, feeling rudderless, no national plan in terms of our schools, what to do, how to make it safe for students to be able to learn. Parents who still have their kids at home who are having to uh, go through the virtual training again are beside themselves. Let's just put it that way. If, if the teacher unions wanted to put up a national referendum for raising teachers' pay and uh, doing anything else the teachers want, it will pass by an overwhelming uh, majority. It has not been since the late 1800s since parents have had to spend this much time with their offspring. Uh, ever since school became mandatory, at the beginning it was you had to go to eighth grade, the, there was a large portion of the day where if you had children of school age, you could do other things, work, chores, think, write, write a novel, whatever. Now, parents have had, since March, their children home uh, 24-7. And while that has been a wonderful thing uh, on many, many levels uh, to have this kind of time with your kids, uh, one thing that we parents are not are teachers. I mean, we are teachers in the sense that as parents, you are hopefully teaching many things to your children, but trigonometry is not one of them. And, <laughs> and advanced chemistry is not the other. Um, uh, you know, I've said this before. I, I was good uh, with our daughter. I, I was good till about fifth grade on the math. After that, uh, I was pretty hopeless. So I think we all agree we need our schools and we love our teachers. and. And yet here we are, no plan, no national plan. We're in the week here of school beginning and parents want their kids not to get sick, want their kids to live. 500,000 children now have had the COVID-19 virus in this country. And so that's why I decided to uh, bring on a couple of uh, school teachers here today to talk about this. And I'm very fortunate to have them here. And and uh, one has children, uh, one does not. And so we'll talk about also being a parent and a teacher uh, during uh, during this time. Uh, my 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 guests today are uh, Dawn Nummer. Dawn teaches uh, high school in Tampa, Florida. Public school teacher uh, teaches psychology there, and she is the mother of uh, two uh, teenagers, one of whom. Um, has asthma. Along here with Don is Paul Prescott. Paul is a teacher in Philadelphia, and he is also uh, active uh, in his uh, labor union and uh, is not a parent, but uh, I think has some very interesting viewpoints in terms of what we need to do. And I, I want to tell everybody listening to this right from the get-go here that one of my hopes in this episode is I want to hear from teachers. Teachers have had the time to think about this. If if te- if the teachers were in the White House, if the teachers occupied the Oval Office, if the teachers had a magic wand, um, what would you do? What would you do to make this better so that everybody's safe, the kids get to learn, the parents get to go to work? You know, where I, I just I'm I'm hoping by you know 45 minutes from now. Those of you listening to this can walk away and have a discussion with the other, with both the adults and the children in your house about, you know, we need to get organized. We need to be active and we need to fix this because it is not fixed 
uh, right now. Let me start with you, Paul, uh, from Philly. Paul Prescott, uh, you, uh, do you teach, I forgot, you teach high school, is that correct? Yes, I teach uh, ninth and 10th grade social studies. Ninth and 10th grade social studies in the Philadelphia public schools. And uh, so can we just start with the end here? <laughs> that question I posed uh, in the introduction, what, what would you do? What would you do if you were put in charge of, of uh, some sort of national education plan to keep everyone safe, teachers safe, students safe, and parents mentally safe? Uh. Yeah, well, first, thanks again for, for having me. Um, at, at a very base level, we just cannot be forcing this issue, forcing students to be going back when it's unsafe. Because we, we all know what's going to happen. It's already happened in certain districts. Um, Temple University, which is a university in Philadelphia, they just re, you know, reopened in person. And I spoke to both students and teachers there and they said, I'll give this about two weeks. And two weeks later, they had to close down. You know, it was a mess. It was chaos. Um, so we don't need to do this. So at a very baseline level, um, if it's not safe to go back from the science, we should not be sending people back. And that means we got to make virtual learning as good as it can be. Um, I don't prefer virtual learning. I don't think many teachers do, but that is the safest option right now. Um, and some things, you know, we had to fight in Philly to make sure um, everyone got free internet access. So many of my students and families don't have access. And we that involved um, pressuring Comcast, which um, does not pay property taxes in Philadelphia, um, pressuring them to give free internet to um, students and families, which they wound up uh, doing. Um, so we got to just provide all the resources to make that necessary. If that means giving out laptops to every family, um, without cost, um, that's, that's what we need to do. Um, and I think there should be very clear guidelines established for when will it be safe to go back? Um, you know, we don't know how it's going to turn out with the vaccine or the virus in general, but there should be a guideline, you know, where if cases have been going down by this much for this uh, many days or weeks, then it's safe to go back. Um, if it's not clear, then it's going to be a fight when the time does come when they're going to start pushing us back. Um, so we need uh, proper guidelines around that. Um, and this is a moment, I mean, to start taking care of some things we've been wanting for a long time. So uh, we have a huge issue in Philly schools that are crumbling that have led mold and asbestos and bad ventilation issues. So we're sending kids back uh, when COVID is still out there and the ventilation is not good. Um, that's also going to be a disaster. So, you know, we should take this time while we're out of the buildings to be fixing them um, and providing an environment that's actually fit to learn in. Um, and, you know, and so much of this, of course, is connected to dealing with the virus overall. So, you know, the quicker we get this under control, like so many other countries have, the quicker we can go back to school. Um, so that, of course, involves everything, whether it's testing, um, contact tracing, um, making sure people are secure economically so they can stay home. Um, the fact that we only have had one stimulus check uh, in all these months is like just mind boggling to me. And this comes down to you really have to bite the bullet now. It's like, yeah, I mean, if we were to go back with social distance measures, and so that means buying or, you know, paying for PPE for everyone, for shields, um, maybe even hiring many more staff because we can't have 30 kids in a class, which is unfortunately the, the norm or even 40 or more. Um, we can't have that many kids in a class when there's a global pandemic. Um, 
So yeah, that means you have to hire more staff. You need, you need to do that. Um, so yeah, there, there needs to be massive expenditure at the federal level um, on education, on all the kinds of resources we need to make this work. Our next uh, teacher here that's with us uh, today is Dawn Nummer. Dawn teaches in the Tampa, Florida uh, school district, Hillsborough County, uh, one of the 10 largest school districts in the country. And uh, Dawn teaches high school, teaches psychology uh, to high school. I could have used that class, by the way, when I was in high school. Um, but it, uh, Dawn is a mother, and she has uh, uh, two teenagers, uh, one of them, as she told me, with uh, asthma. So, Dawn, um, welcome to Rumble. Thank you for sitting here with myself and uh, Paul. And so what's the situation? Because I've been following Florida a little bit. You've got uh, a, a, a right-wing governor, DeSantis, uh, who's referred to as, as no science DeSantis. He's anti-science. He's ordered all the schools open, physically open, for students to physically be back in school. And I believe this started uh, a week or so ago, August 31st. And, um, and you, uh, were amongst the teachers who were fighting this idea that it was too risky for the teachers and too risky for the students to have in-person school in school buildings, uh, when Florida remains one of the hotspots in this country, uh, for, for COVID-19. Dawn, um, again, welcome. And, uh, just, I, I hand you the magic wand and, um, and, and tell me what you would do to fix to fix this and and to come up with a better solution than the one it seems that we've been offered uh, for our kids being back in school. Well, thank you, Mike, and I appreciate you having me on the show. Um, well, I guess I'd like to just parrot a lot of what Paul said. I mean, he has a pretty good plan. What needs to happen is that we need to follow science. So there needs to be a specific metric that we agree on as a nation um, and, and that metric, I mean, we tried to, what, what has basically happened is that as you stated earlier, there is no national plan and there really isn't even a plan at the state level. So this, what's happened is this has basically gone to local school boards to try to come up with a plan. And in Florida in particular, our school board did a good job. We brought in, um, we brought in medical experts. The medical experts did come up with a metric. They said when our county, Hillsborough County, um, gets to a three to five percent um, positivity ratio, at that point, it would maybe be safe to start having students um, come into the classroom, maybe elementary students first, have them cohort, meaning um, we're just going to have elementary students, small groups, they're going to be social distanced, and they're just going to stay with that one group all day. High schools, middle schools, they change classes all the time. And plus, they're better at virtual learning. So for them, it, it's okay if they, if they stay home. Plus, you know, they don't really need as much supervision at home. So for them, it's okay if they stay home and do virtual learning. But it's important to get those youngsters, those kindergartners, first, second, third graders in a classroom with a teacher. So that was sort of the plan that um, the medical experts stated to our school board. It seemed like it was a good plan. Um, 
And but what happened was our county voted to postpone the brick and mortar or the face to face learning um, for at least four weeks. They were trying to wait until that metric was met. But as you say, no science DeSantis and his buddy, the education commissioner, Richard Corcoran, denied that plan. They threatened to take away funds um, from our county to the tune of $200 million. And so we really couldn't, um, we really couldn't follow through on that. And so because of that, now thousands of teachers, teachers who are high risk and teachers who have dependents like me, who are high risk are being forced back into the classroom. Um, I've now, I'm now being forced to take a leave. And there are thousands of other teachers who are being forced to take a leave and many of them can't afford to do so. So they're just in the classroom. We need to follow science. We need to fix the ventilation problems. We need to make sure that everybody um, has internet access. Everybody has devices, all of the things that he said is exactly what needs to happen. You're doing something, I think, very brave. You've been ordered back and you've decided both as a teacher of these children and as a mother of your children, one of whom has asthma, which makes him uh, an at-risk child, um, that you are not going to put your child at risk and you're not going to put the, the children at risk in the school. And so, you decided, beginning on August 31st, to not obey, and you began calling in sick uh, so that uh, you would not have to go in. You were using your sick days. But I think that's, I think that you've been in a very awful position that you've been put in here. And the fact that you would even have to consider giving up your profession, your career, um, you know, you were telling me before we went on the air here how much you loved your job. That that if if you were if you were given at the beginning of your adult life the choice of any job, you had, you could be of any job. This is the actual job you would cho choose: teaching psychology to high school students. And and the fact that you are now having to go on leave to fight for your job and maybe have to give it up. Because there is no plan, and because the plan that it does it, <laughs> the plan that does exist puts you and your child at jeopardy. This is just wrong on so many levels. In Florida, I feel like, I mean, I know it's different in um, at different places in the world, and certainly in this country. But in Florida, I almost feel like I'm made to believe that I'm crazy because of what I'm doing, because it seems like. A lot of people, almost everybody has chosen to just go back and, and deal with it. People are so scared to defy orders or resist because it's a right to work state. Um, and I feel like I'm one of the few that is doing what I'm doing. And like I said, I ju it just makes me feel like I'm the crazy one. And I just have to keep telling myself. I'm not the crazy one here. Like this is a pandemic. I'm choosing my son's life over my job. Like that's that's the correct choice. Paul, does 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 Dawn uh, sound crazy uh, to you? Nope, not at all. This has to be a, a similar story to many teachers across the country. Uh, it is. I know. I have friends who are are stepping into the classroom and they're high risk and. It's, uh, we'll just, we'll see what's going to happen. You know, can I, can I say just as a citizen of the country, um, 
I don't like that plan. Let's just see what happens. Because the potential for uh, children dying, for children being super spreaders uh, out in the community within their own families. I think the in Wuhan in China, they figured out pretty early on that it, it, it was family members killing other family members. Family members that were asymptomatic but had COVID-19, um, even if they tested for it, they, at first they just sent them home. And what they did was they infected everybody else in the home and the older people died. And uh, so once they figured that out, if you tested positive, uh, you, were, you had to go to a, a hotel, a, a sanctioned hotel, COVID-19 hotel or, or college campus dorm room or whatever for 14 days before you could go back home. Um, and they brought, they brought the number of deaths down uh, eventually to practically nothing. So that's not our way, though. And it just seems like, I mean, we talk a lot about protecting the kids, but I hear very little talk about protecting the teachers. And, and maybe you don't want to talk about that. And I, I know you're, most teachers I know are pretty selfless. Uh, they put in more hours than they have to. They spend money out of their own pocket for the classroom to help the kids. Everyone who knows this who's listening to me, if you've had kids, if you have anything to do with our public education system, you know that the majority of teachers do this sort of thing. They go that extra mile. But I don't want them going the extra mile on the way to their grave. And what is, Paul, what is the union and what are, what are teachers doing to protect themselves? And, and, and nobody listening to this is going to think poorly of teachers wanting to live. Yeah, and... and- before I answer that, just add, you know, how much of a disaster this could be. Do you really think you'll find a substitute teacher who wants to come in for a teacher who left because of COVID? Um, I mean, what are you going to do in that situation? Um, but that's that's another story. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a concerted fight back. Uh, of course, it's going to look different in different um, places, but um, especially in areas where the teachers union locals are very strong. So like in Los Angeles and Chicago, which in the past two years had very successful strikes, um, just the threat of a strike over going back in person, which their districts wanted them to do, um, forced the district to say, no, we're going to go all virtual. And not only that, but like have a, um, a good plan for what they're going to do when they come back. Um, in New York city recently, um, they took a strike authorization vote and that um, forced them to delay school opening. I think it was just a week. Um, it still looks like there's an issue there with the plan going back. Um, and in Philly, you know, what we did, we basically um, were organizing our buildings to resist going back. Our district proposed what they call a hybrid plan of like partly in person, partly not, um, but it, w- it was still inadequate. Um, we organized with parents and we basically at the school board meeting to, to discuss this plan. It went on for six hours, a six hour virtual school board meeting and 150 speakers, literally not a single speaker supported going back at all. Um, there was, I've never really seen a board meeting that unified. I was even expecting that more parents would say, you know, we should do the hybrid plan. Um, So, you know, this is definitely happening in many states. And I mean, especially we'll see as the school year goes on, you know, if there are big outbreaks, I wouldn't be surprised. And one thing I have my eye on, I don't really have my ear to the ground in these states. But if we remember the Red for Ed movement of 2018, where so many states 
in the South, and these are even right-to-work states, went on these huge, massive strikes. Big strikes. Um, West Virginia, Kentucky. Yes. Yeah, Arizona, Oklahoma. Arizona, yeah. So, um, and the, again, these are places that they didn't necessarily have strong unions. It just got to that breaking point. But, um, you know, some people say, like, striking is like a muscle. And, you know, the more you use it, the better you get at it and the stronger you get. Um, so these teachers, you know, they know how to strike and win now. Um, and especially West Virginia, they struck actually again the next year and won. Um, so I'm actually very interested to see if that they're going to use that same infrastructure they built on those strikes to resist um, school reopening. And they're going to have confidence that they can do it. Um, so I think that's something we should watch out for. One of you brought up the issue of ventilation in schools. And I read this article stating that schools, by and large, have the, sometimes the worst ventilation systems. And in many schools, especially in the northern climates, the windows don't open. The windows have to stay shut, obviously, during the cold months. But many schools uh, now, I'm I'm just reading something, Southern California and Arizona, whatever, the windows don't open there because they need to keep them closed to keep the air conditioning in. So it's talk about this for a second. Are are you concerned? I mean, you know, you guys work in these schools. Uh, are, are you happy with the ventilation systems? Do you think that this is uh, all we need to fix is just get some good ventilating going on in there and, and zap the virus as the, uh, that one rally of evangelicals said they bought those, uh, they bought those special machines? Well, I mean, I would say ventilation is a start. I mean, there, I think that there has to be a combination. When, first of all, we have to get the virus under control before we can even talk about going back. And I don't know if that if if we're going to talk about under control locally um, or nationwide, that's a discussion that we need to have and agree upon. But um, either way, the virus has to be under control at some level before we can talk about going back. I've had doctors on on my podcast here from the NIH, uh, from um, Columbia University, from Harvard. Uh, they have told me and said it publicly on this podcast that this is not a one-year pandemic. It's not probably a two-year pandemic. It's more likely a three. And even one former NIH official said a four-year pandemic. We're in this kind of for the long haul. We've never had a vaccine developed any quicker than the one that was developed for mumps. That was That took four years. So all this foolhardy talk about we'll have a vaccine by election day um, or, you know, we just got to get through the flu season. We'll be okay. Uh, One more hot season. We'll get the summer. We'll kill it. All this nonsense we've been told. It's all been wrong. Remember when we were told that young people can't get it, uh, that they were not at risk. So we, everything we have been told has been wrong. And so I have, I have just decided to listen to the scientists only. Uh, and especially ones that don't don't have a uh, a, a political um, leg that they have to stand on. They don't have to worry about their jobs or whatever. We need the truth right now. And what I hear is that this is a two to four year pandemic. And if that's the case, you're right. Just putting in new filters in the school ventilation system is not going to be the fix. Um, what are we going to do? Because I got to tell you, I don't. I haven't seen or heard of the virtual learning that's just started this week. Uh, I, I, I've heard from some parents that 
the Google Room, the Google Classroom. They've invented some things that are helpful for teachers. Um, Microsoft has got some software. So, you know, the, the apparatus itself won't be maybe as clunky as it was back in the spring. But I, I just, I, I got to believe that, um, and it's so good to hear that parents were that supportive at that school board meeting. But I also know that parents and students don't want to be learning from a, a laptop or telephone screen. Uh, this just can't be the best way. Um, is, is there... Is there something that I or others are not thinking of to where we could we could make this make this better? Especially I'm thinking like single moms who have to work. I mean, at some point, if not already, they're having to go back to work. And and they, there's no child care in this country. We're not France. We're not Denmark. There's there's people don't have the money for that. What I, I'm sorry to pose this in such a um, uh, catastrophic tone of voice, but um, I listen to enough parents. I get enough emails and enough voicemails or whatever from uh, from parents and they're climbing the walls. They, their kids are climbing the walls, but they've got to keep their kids in front of a computer screen and yet they've got to do their job too. What do we do here? I was just going to say, I mean, what makes this pandemic so tough is that there really can be no small scale solutions. Um, you know, you're either going to have a big bold plan or, or there's not going to be a solution. And I'm mean, a lot of people have talked about how pandemic has really re revealed the holes in our social welfare system or really our lack of any kind of welfare state or social safety net. Um, and this is where like, I mean, if you want to deal with this dilemma with parents, I mean, we should be getting monthly stimulus checks or the government like they've done uh, in Germany and some other places where, you know, they cover your, um, like 70% or 80% for the company while the company covers the other 20% of your wage so you can stay home. Um, and we would develop a, a child care system. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to take like a bold national solution to really get at these problems. Like there's really no going small in this moment. You know, I have people that listen to this podcast uh, around the world and after they get done listening to an episode like this, they, they send me an email and level of sorrow and pity that they have for us as Americans is profound. They love, they actually love this country. They love, especially they love the Americans they've met and they just can't believe that we have to go through something like this. Um, when they, they at least have some of this figured out and are able to protect their kids, protect their teachers, um, have the childcare that's necessary. Um, and of course they have free healthcare. They don't, they, if they end up in a pandemic, their first thought isn't, Oh my God, I've, I've just lost my job, which means my insurance is tied to my job. So now I have no insurance. Even if I'm getting unemployment, I have no health insurance. And, and that, this, this is an added stress on everybody in this country right now. They don't have that stress in virtually every other democracy on this, on this planet. Um, so they feel bad for us that uh, the great United States of America um, has these uh, kind of third world country living conditions and working conditions. Um, nobody should have to go to work worried about whether they're not going to be able to go home alive that day uh, because somebody sneezed. I don't want to turn this conversation into about the election, but that's kind of an elephant in the room. And, you know, and I think it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> 
I mean, partly from, you know, we have these movements developing um, over the last few years and sort of this energy during the Bernie campaign. I do think there is an opportunity, maybe just maybe, with a Biden administration, if they're elected, um, there might be some space to push for these things. Um, and there does come a point where if you're, the government just can't totally, um, you know, ignore their responsibilities during a crisis of this magnitude without there being some political consequences. And I think they know that. And I, so I think there could be space to really um, force through, I mean, we'd have to fight for it, but for a really more robust response to start taking care of these issues. And I think someone like Biden would be kind of a little bit vulnerable to having to do that. Um, so maybe that's a little bit of hope. So what you're saying politically, though, is, well, obviously, we all need to get out and vote. And a Biden administration would, would mean what to you, especially as it relates to this issue of education? So, you know, and I'll be totally frank, you know, like I could probably go on for hours criticizing Biden. So I don't necessarily have that much hope in the administration, but I mean, I feel like it, it kind of opens up space. So like, but you're going to vote, you're going to vote for him though. Right. I would. Yes. And I do think that's important. And, you know, as bad as I think he could be, I don't see him appointing someone like DeVos, who's like totally an enemy of public schools. You know, I don't see him doing stuff like totally trying to destroy the post office in two years. So that, you know, and that means there's some space for us to maneuver. Um, and I think, it is more possible that we could um, fight for much more federal funds for a school reopening plan um, that they're listening to teachers and teachers who needs more on what we need to do. Um, you know, and, and just like some more basic level competency, just even from a technical standpoint uh, of what to do here. Um, so yeah, I think it just gives us some space to push for, um, for more things that we want. How about you, Don? Where, where, uh, where do you stand on this? Do you see a partially here a, a, a political solution? Oh God. Hmm. Well, I'm voting for Biden. Um, I don't think that it's going to help with this particular, my particular situation in Florida. I don't. I don't know. I've I've looked at his reopening plan. I. He, I don't see him. You can say it. Go ahead. It's okay. (laughs) I don't see him really doing much to overturn um, DeSantis and Corcoran's um, executive order. There is um, a current litigation um, that our Florida union has. um, They're in court right now. Um, and actually the union won the first, um, the first ruling, but basically, um, they appealed it. It's probably going to end up in the Florida Supreme court. And there's a lot of, uh, justices there that DeSantis has appointed. So, um, basically we are being told by our union that probably the executive order is going to end up staying. So. I don't know what Biden can do about that or what he will do about that. I heard him say that he will encourage um, people to follow science, but he also believes in the constitution and local authority and all of that. So states' rights. (laughs) Yeah, states' rights. So Uh, I'm not feeling overly confident that he's going to help me in my particular situation. I I mean, Dawn, I mean, you're a mom. So this isn't just about the students and the teachers. This is about your kids. 
Right. Uh, have you sent your kids uh, back to school, in-person school? No, no, obviously you're not, not. You're not I mean, going to, right? No. Um, th- so we have a choice. This, As a parent, the parents have a choice. So even though the executive order is that um, everybody has to uh, open up brick and mortar or face-to-face, the counties have the option to give a choice to the parents. So the parents um, of Hillsborough County and many of the other counties have a choice. So I had a choice for my sons, but the teachers are the ones that don't have a choice. And teachers that are high risk, especially, I believe should have a choice. And teachers that have dependents that are high risk, obviously should have a choice. I think that this is, I really think that this is an American Disabilities Act issue um, and a legal issue, to be honest. I think that this is something that's going to end up being hashed out in court here, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I think we should just leave open the possibility, and it'd be, of course, very unfortunate for it to get to this level, but if in certain areas there are outbreaks and issues, I think the environment quickly changes, and there is a more of a likelihood that teachers could get parent support to force it to go virtual. Um, again, you don't want it to get to that point, but I do think the climate in any given area could change fairly quickly depending on conditions. Let me ask you this. I mean, you you both teach high school. So uh, if we do have two more years of virtual learning ahead, so that means last semester, last this past year, and then two more years of it, how far behind will our will our students be as a result of having um, been taught by an iPhone? I mean, I think that that depends on the kid because like I work at a title one school, meaning that I have a lot of students that are low socioeconomic status. And um, a lot of the students just didn't check in simply because they don't have a device and they don't have internet access. So what Paul was saying earlier about making sure that all students have internet access and have a device is key. The The ones that don't are falling behind. And that's, that's just what it is. The ones that do, I'm telling you, most kids, they want to learn. They want to be engaged in school. They're bored at home. When I'm holding Zooms, a lot of times after the Zoom, they're like, hey, can we just like hang out after class like we normally would? And I'm like, sure. And the kids will just like sit there and chat and talk because they're so like socially deprived. So it's not like the kids are anti-school and they're not wanting to learn and they're not wanting to do anything. They're excited about being in school. At least my kids are. I don't like when people say virtual learning is, is like subpar. I think virtual learning can be comparable, especially at the high school level. There are a lot of really good programs I think the teachers um, sometimes don't know how to use the programs and maybe aren't trained on them. But um, I think that there are a lot of really good programs. Um, So I don't think they necessarily need to be falling behind. Um, But again, they have to have internet access. They have to have devices. I think if we can all just, just stick it out for a little bit longer, be patient, you know, support, be supportive of teachers. I know, I know um, Paul was saying earlier that um, at his board meeting, everybody was supportive and of, of remaining virtual. 
That is not the case in Florida. Um, it's basically in Florida, it tends to be parents versus teachers, which is a shame. Um, but I think as long as people can remain, you know, supportive of teachers and, um, you know, I think that if we can stick it out together, then that will, that will end the virus or at least get it down to where it's safe enough to go back to school and then we can, we can do so safely. And, um, this will be all over a lot quicker. If we're trying to go back now, this is just going to end up, you know, schools are going to open and close repeatedly. And this is just, this mess will just continue for years as, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast. So, you know, I think of a parent and a teacher, if they actually talk to each other, even in a place like Florida, they'll probably find they agree on 95% of this and have, you know, have the same goals. So yeah, I would just encourage, you know, try, if you're a teacher, try to reach out to parents, if you're a parent to your teacher. Um, and that's like the basis for building unity going forward. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you, uh, Don Nummer, high school teacher and parent from Tampa, Florida, and Paul Prescott, um, high school teacher from Philadelphia. Uh, it's been great talking to both of you. Thank you uh, for being teachers. Or in other words, thank you for your service to our country. Uh, there are a few jobs more important than the ones that you hold. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for battling through this uh, and the risks that you, know, you are having to take while doing so. Um, and uh, thank you to everybody who's been listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can write me at mike at michaelmoore.com. Uh, you can also, on this platform page, wherever you're listening to this, uh, there's a link for you to call me and leave me a voice message. Uh, I think the, the tape cuts out after 60 seconds, but I would love to hear your ideas and your feedback. Uh, it's, it's very important to me. To the young people who are listening to this, I want you to know that uh, there's a lot of adults who care deeply about what you're going through. Uh, I hope that you can find your way. A lot of this is in your hands and maybe it feels like it's a little too soon that you would be, this kind of responsibility would be heaped upon you, but such as it is, it is. And uh, I think most of you have the wherewithal to find ways uh, to get through this, uh, to keep learning, educating yourselves. Uh, you know, by now, especially high school students that you can't, completely depend on the adults uh, to make this good for you. Uh, and, you know, because the adults, as you've seen by now, are we're only capable of so much. Uh, we do our best, but uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to take this one too. Uh, put that, put it in your hands. It is your life. Uh, it is your education and it, and your, the rest of your life will be heavily influenced by the things that you do now. But unfortunately, we've handed them such a crappy world uh, where the planet is dying and um, uh, democracy in many places is dying. And so they're going to have to get active sooner rather than later to fight for their own future. So with that, with that happy message, um, I, I leave you and uh, we will revisit this, uh, this topic uh, very soon. Uh, and uh, and I, may have, I may have some ideas actually. Uh, for parents and students who are home learning uh, virtually, uh, something that 
maybe we could make this a little more fun too. All right, everybody, that's it for Rumble with Michael Moore today. I know, I know at least Americans are in some form of shock or um, hostile aggression toward what we learned here in the last uh, day or so from Bob Woodward and from the president's own lips that he's known about this the whole time. And he know he knew how bad it was. And yet not only did nothing encourage people to ignore it and put themselves at risk. It's the sickest thing I think I've seen in my lifetime. And I've seen some pretty sick stuff from politicians. This one, this one really takes the cake. So we'll get into that too. Um, in the coming in the coming days, uh, early voting is starting soon. Uh, I know in in Michigan, uh, you should be applying for your ballots, your mail in ballots right now. Uh, and I think they'll be available in most counties by the twenty eighth of September. Some counties even earlier than that. Do not put this off. Do not wait. Uh, get your ballot, and if you can, return it in person to the county clerk, the city clerk, the village clerk, whoever handles the ballots in your town, your neighborhood. Take it there in person if you can. Uh, if not, then get it in the mail as soon as possible. Uh, please, again, do not think every time, remember, you know this, every time you thought Trump was cooked, somehow he just turned himself over, basted himself, and kept going. Every time you've said to yourself in the last four years, including go way back to the Billy Bush tapes, and you, you know, or what he said about John McCain. Oh, that's the end of Trump. How many times did you say that? Oh, that's the end of Trump. It's never the end of Trump. Put that thought in your head. We are the only end of Trump. That's it. You and I and tens of millions of others are going to have to forklift him out of there. And we will do that. But don't think the Democrats are going to do it for you. Their game plan, as I've told you, is not solid. Even if it was, don't put your faith in anybody other than yourself, your family, your friends, and make a list of people right now you're going to get to go to the polls or get their ballots in early. Think of five people you know that are non-voters, people that don't vote. Let's get them to vote. Lots of things we can be doing. We'll talk about it more on upcoming episodes, but um, don't despair. Don't despair. But also don't gloat. Don't think that Trump has thrown himself off a cliff. He's thrown himself off many cliffs. That may be why he's so orange. <laughs> I don't know. But but he ain't going away. And neither are we. This is Michael Moore. And uh, this is Rumble. Take care. Take care.